Hi, this is Nick Webster with The Bear and the Ball. Usually I have a special guest, but today the special guest is none other than me. Over the last few weeks I've been asked many times what my story is, and today I thought would be a great opportunity to tell you about my journey in this beautiful game. Born in 1964 and actually raised my formative years in the country of Brazil. Lucky enough to move there in 1970, the height of Brazilian football. They just won the World Cup, beating Italy in the World Cup final. And that great team of Pelé, Jarzinho, Revelino, Gerson. I used to go see these guys play every week as I lived in Sao Paulo. My first ever professional game, Corinthians versus Palmeiras. 150,000 at the Morumbi Stadium. It really was one of the greatest soccer educations anybody could ever have. In the mid in sorry, in the mid seventies, we moved back to my family moved back to England and North London, where I split time between Arsenal, Tottenham, QPR, and Watford, and of course enjoyed my own budding soccer career, so to speak. Played at a pretty good level. Obviously, played for my high school, played for my county, and uh, had a few trials for uh, some of the professional local teams, QPR and uh, and Watford. However, in, what was it now, 1980, 16 years old, I broke my leg on Hackney Marshes, and you should look up Hackney Marshes online. It was, at the time, the most football fields, soccer fields, in one place in the world. There was something like 300. I was playing adult, adult football, playing for the second 11 for uh, Parkfield, one of the local amateur teams, and uh, went in on a goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper took me out, and really that was the end of my soccer career, unfortunately. Still played, but never again to a high level. In 1987, I moved to America and began coaching straight away. And funnily enough, took my first ever coaching license with Steve Hoffman, who is now the technical director, who has been the technical director of Cal South for many years. Took my D license. Norm Jackson, one of the legendary names, was also one of the coaching instructors that day. And they really gave me my first taste into coaching. In fact, Steve and Norm got me my first coaching job at Occidental College. I was the assistant there for a couple of years on the men's side and moved to a high school, Alamany, out in Mission Hills. Was the head coach of the boys' program there for a number of years. Also in 1990, I joined the World Cup Organizing Committee as a volunteer. It was based in Los Angeles at the uh, Twin Towers in Century City. And that really was uh, my first education into the administrative side of the sport. Uh, worked many, many, many hours there. Uh, got to know the big players. Of course, Alan Rothenberg, who was the president of U.S. Soccer. He was also the president of the organizing committee. Marla Messing, I think, was the CEO. Steve Sampson was uh, one of the advisors. And actually, Steve actually helped me get into a, uh, a license course that was sold out in 1993. And during this time, of course, I was coaching and playing. Uh, I played actually in the uh, LA Municipal League uh, for a team called Adlerstein. And I was actually a centre-back by trade as, as a young player. But um, I guess my, uh, my technical abilities and my, my tactical knowledge uh, had me further up the field. And I actually uh, played as a striker in my two seasons for Adlerstein and was 
in fact, the top goal scorer in the LA Municipal Division in 1991, if you can believe that. I still find it hard to believe, but yeah, I scored something like 35 goals that season. Uh, I think it was the most goals I'd ever scored in my life, and perhaps, uh, yeah, that total probably matched the, the, the rest of my soccer career. Um, and of course, you know, kept on coaching, uh, coaching club. Obviously, uh, Coast Soccer League in in those days was the the dominant force, and I uh, coached both girls and boys. In fact, one of my uh, looking back now, Callum Best. Now that last name may ring a bell. His dad, yes, none other than Georgie Best. So I got to coach Callum for a couple of years. It was so funny, actually. Uh, Blonde-headed lad, good-looking lad. In fact, he uh, he became a model back in England. Um, I think during the 2000s, ran just like his dad. Unfortunately, wasn't quite as good, but uh, we had a lot of fun. And his mum Angie, lovely lady, and of course, quite pleasant to look at. Um, I did high school for many years and uh, kept kept up with the club. And then in 2000, uh, my life really changed when I. Uh, got the position at Fox Soccer Channel, where it was called Fox Sports World back in those days. As an intern, I was perhaps the oldest intern in the in the history of the Fox Corporation, but uh, managed to arrive at the organization at just the right time. They just bid for the rights to the Premier League, the English Premier League, and before you knew it, uh, I was in a, the lucky position of Writing the teases, which goes something like this. It's Ferguson versus Wenger coming to you from Old Trafford. This really is a big one. The Red Devils and the Gunners, two of the fiercest rivals in all of English football. And before you know it, I was voicing these teases and then uh, introducing the games, which was really quite something. You know, a young lad from England and all of a sudden here I am, the voice of the Premier League on network TV. Uh, that soon actually evolved into me writing for foxsoccer.com and uh, Ed Durst, oh Ed, a heck of a lot. He liked my style of writing so much that he sent me to the World Cup in 2002. Uh, that World Cup in South Korea and Japan. And it was also a World Cup that the United States did very well in. I was covering the team and I remember going to the game against Portugal, the opening game in 2002. And in the press box, we were all looking at each other thinking, this is going to be a tough, tough, tough ask for the uh, US team. This was uh, Luis Figo and Rui Costa. And actually, Portugal were one of the favorites for the tournament. But uh, they uh, they showed up and they were drinking uh, martinis and smoking cigars, thinking that they would roll over the uh, red, white and blue. And it didn't happen that way. And the Americans rolled out to a, a really stunning victory. Um, they then played uh, South Korea, which was just one of the most amazing atmospheres I've ever experienced in my life. Lost to Poland, but then beat Mexico and uh, really were robbed by Germany in that, that famous handball on the line. So uh, re really quite amazing for me to, to cover a World Cup. Um, England did very well as well, losing to Brazil in the quarterfinals. In fact, I got to see England-Argentina, uh, one of the first games played in a... Uh, Indoor stadium. I think the first was actually back in 1990 when uh, the U.S. played Switzerland. So Sapporo was the uh, destiny, and, and Beckham scored that penalty against Argentina, redemption for his sending off in 1998. 
And so my career at Fox just, you know, kept on ticking along, really. It was quite amazing in 2004. Uh, went to Portugal, covered the Euros, which was just the most incredible tournament. Uh, and if you ever get the chance to go to Europe, really make sure that you stop in at Portugal, a fabulous country. They absolutely love their football. The food's great. The wine's great. Everything about Portugal, an absolute winner. And, of course, it's actually quite affordable. In 2006... Um, another World Cup, and uh, this time in Germany, and as you can imagine, superbly ran. And uh, I think I was actually the only journalist, in fact, the only person other than Franz Beckenbauer to to be at every single stadium. There was 12 stadiums used in that World Cup, and I saw a game in every single one of them. And, and some of these games were just legendary, including the best match I have ever seen live. Can you guess which one it was? I'll let you know the stadium, the Westfalen Stadium, which is in Dortmund, really is a brute of a stadium, and it was the semi-final. Germany versus Italy. Uh, just, I, I'm, I'm breathtaking. I mean, thinking about it now, the, the hairs on my arms stand to attention. Nil-nil after 90 minutes, and then... Grosso, 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 with that incredible, incredible goal from the corner kick in the 119th minute, and then Del Piero sealed the deal. But the atmosphere that night was just, I mean, simply electrifying. You're never, never, ever, ever going to beat that. That nationalistic pride, that the tension, and, and the quality, the quality of soccer was just simply sensational. Uh, in 2008... Uh, once again, got to go to the Euros, this time in Austria and uh, Switzerland. Kind of weird having it mixed, much like, you know, Japan and South Korea, although a lot easier to get to, uh, not separated by any water. Um, interesting tournament, not not particularly my favourite. And then in 2010, the World Cup in South Africa, the first World Cup in, in an African country. Uh, and that was a strange one as well, because it was a World Cup in winter. We usually have World Cups in the summer, uh, but of course, being on the other side of the world, the other, the other equator, um, it was it was kind of chilly, except in Durban, which Durban's very much like Florida, so it's in the seventies all the time. But I only got to Durban for the semi-final. In fact, funnily enough, the the semi-final between uh, Spain and Germany, which Spain won, uh, there was so much traffic going into the airport that my plane was flying around the stadium for God knows how long, and I only got to the game with uh, 15 minutes left, so didn't adhere myself too much to my uh, my bosses at Fox, which was unfortunate. Um, and, and during that time, actually, uh, started um, appearing on Fox uh, in the form of a talk show, Fox Football Phone-In. Don't know how many of you saw that, but really was a fun show, a call-in show, devoted to you, the fans of this great game, and... Uh, hosted it for two years with uh, Stephen Cohen before he landed himself in some hot water and then did a year with Eric Winolda of the United States men's national team fame. And Eric, a controversial character, always had some fun things to say. And that was a ton of fun. And, and meanwhile, while I was still working in the broadcasting industry, I was actually double dipping I was coaching at a independent uh, school here on the west side of LA, which was a ton of fun. Uh, 
doing the boys program and actually won a, a state title in 2004 with perhaps one of the worst teams in terms of technical ability that I've ever coached but you know sometimes spirit and tactics can take you a long way and I do remember the playoff run in CIF and every team we played I mean we were a, a wild card team every team we played was you know seeded and far better than us and and five games in a row we stole it and it just doesn't happen but I guess it did that year. But usually it does not happen that you win five in a row that you have no right to win. But yeah, it was something like 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, 1-0. And then 2-1 in the final, we played Carpinteria. Always remember that because we showed up and Carpinteria were already there knocking it around. And I was like, oh my God, this lot are going to slaughter us. But it was funny because the, the warm-up area was on the baseball diamond. And the baseball diamond, as you know, is you know flat and perfect and just like a putting green. And when we walked into the stadium, it was it was on a you know a narrow football field, and I was like, oh, we got half a chance here. And then as soon as the ball started bouncing around, it was left, right, and centre because the field had been chewed up from uh, from the football season. And uh, yeah, we got lucky two two set pieces, a free kick, and a throw in, and two uh, one. Bob's your uncle, state champion. So. Really, quite remarkable uh, for that school to to win a to win a CIF title. But it just goes to show that on any given day, as they like to say, you don't have to be the best team in the world. You just have to be the best team in the stadium. So uh, Fox ended in uh, in 2012, not in the most ideal of circumstances, which was a shame. Um, but what can you do? Sometimes you don't get to pick your own exit. In fact, many times you don't get to pick your own exit. And if I had a piece of advice to anybody, if you are doing something you love and then you fall out of love with it because the manager changes, and then I'm going to use a, a soccer analogy here. You know, if the manager doesn't like you, if the manager doesn't see you as part of their plans, then it's time to look for something else. And sometimes it's very hard to leave what you love. And that was the, the mistake I made. I didn't leave what I loved and I didn't leave what I'd fell out of love with. And so there, when there's a parting of the, of the ways because you haven't planned your exit, it's not particularly good. Anyway, enough of, of that sad stuff. I mean, really, 11 years at Fox was incredible. Uh, I probably commentated and watched more soccer than any person on the planet. I mean, really, I was probably watching, well, obviously, every Premier League game. Um, I was doing the raps on the Italian. I was doing play-by-play on Chilean. There was, of course, the Champions League. I was the director and producer of the Champions League show. So there was a bunch of games there. I mean, it, it really was incredible. And in, 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 while I was, of course, while I was doing all of this, you know, I was, I was coaching and taking coaching licenses and ended up with my, uh, you know, U.S. Soccer A license. And look, let's be honest, the license is a great thing to have, but it doesn't really signify whether you're a good coach or not. Um, I think what I've learned over, over the years of, of coaching is that you know, X's and O's are important, but it's the relational side 
of the sport that is the key. It's the it's the determining factor of whether you're going to have a average team, good team, great team, or in some cases terrible team. And you know, as 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 a young coach, I look back on some of the things that I thought were right, and you know, sh- and shudder really. And here's here's a great example. I was coaching a um, a girls team, U uh, seventeen, very very talented. Premier Division in uh, in Coast, and uh, I'll always remember this because it was the day <laughs> that uh, uh, the job went away from me as well. So we're playing this team, and we're not doing particularly well, and we we should be doing much better. I think we were, you know, third or second in the league, and uh, we're playing the bottom team, and we can't get anything together. And from a free kick, uh, we've managed to pass it straight to the other team, and I, I remember shouting out at the top of my lungs, "We are the team in white. They are the team in red. Let's give it to the team in white." And uh, I can remember a couple of the girls looking at me, and I was like. Oh, that wasn't the best thing to say. And that was the end of my coaching career with the girls under 17 premier team. And I probably absolutely deserved it. No, I definitely, there's no problem to be about it. Definitely absolutely deserved it. So uh, returned to, uh, returning to high school, did that for a number of years. And then, uh, you know, I was th- really thinking to myself, you know what, I, I want to coach at another level. And the next level would have been college. Uh, meanwhile, I've done, you know, ODP through Cal South and been actually been lucky enough to win a national championship with a uh, boys 2000, I think it was 2015, U17 team. Great, great talent. Amazing, amazing team. Um, but yeah, so uh, I want to coach at college and of course there's a stumbling block and that stumbling block was that I hadn't had enough education. See, when I'd left England, I left school at 16. I uh, had to get a job. I left home at 16, so uh, there was no no college, no college for me. And uh, I realized to get a college job, I was going to need a degree. So I went to my local college, which was uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, and uh, ended up getting a Bachelor of Science. So I started applying for college jobs and not really getting much traction. And I I met someone, I mean, actually, it was the guy from Chico State. And he said, Nick, you know what, to get a college job, you really need a master's degree. Oh, brother, here we go. So, um, yeah, I signed up for a master's degree uh, and got a master's in, uh, in leadership. Which I was, which I am hopeful will lead to, lead to something. We'll have to wait and see. The jury's out. But in, in the meantime, um, I did, uh, I did some stuff for Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, certainly scouted for them and and did play by play, both for the men and for the women. And then in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit, I got a position with uh, UCSB, uh, coaching the women there. Go Gauchos. And unfortunately, you know, 2020, and we know uh, much of 2021 was decimated by the pandemic. However, we did get a season in at the end of 2021, and uh, was very successful, really. Um, we finished fourth in the the Big West, which enabled us to go to the Big West tournament, where 
We lost to the eventual champions, UC Irvine. And congratulations to UC Irvine on winning that Big West Championship in 2021. And then turning over UCLA in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which really was one of the biggest shocks, I think, in the tournament history. So that is where I am really with my soccer career. Uh, although, yes, I forgot to mention my, my time with uh, Cal FC. I can't believe I forgot to mention my time with Cal FC. In 2012, when I left Fox, Eric Winolder and I teamed up and we took an amateur team to the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup, uh, including one of the biggest shocks in the tournament history. Yep, we beat the Portland Timbers 1-0 with a team of yeah journeymen, really, some, some failed pros, um, failed players, but caught lightning in a bottle, beat Kitsap Pumas 1-0 in the uh, first round, Wilmington Hammerheads 2-0 in the second round. We went to... Portland and Genwin Stadium in the third round, beat them 1-0 in extra time. Really was just quite quite an epic, epic night. And uh, if you ever get the chance, you can find that game online. And it really is, I mean, it's quite amazing. It's And, and as we said, you know, you don't have to be the best team in the world, just the best team in the stadium. I don't even think we were the best team in the stadium because we were outshot something like 45-3. to three. But the one we got on target did find the back of the net. Arta Agassian, legend. You legend, Arta. Yeah, I think in the 105th, 107th minute, something like that. Quite amazing, really. Uh, and then we ran into uh, the Seattle Sounders in the fourth round. We had to play them away as well because we didn't have a home stadium. In fact, all our games were away. And I think that's what finally caught up with us, something like 14,000 miles of traveling in the space of three and a half weeks. But yeah, Seattle. And funnily enough, though, it, it was nil-nil up until like the 55th minute. And you could see Seattle getting a little worried. And they kind of got a jammy penalty. Um, Beto Navarro. Um, ball hit his hit his wrist and really his, his wrist wasn't really out from his body but I think uh U.S. soccer by that time had had enough of uh Winolda and his upstarts and pointed to the spot and within 15 minutes it was 5-0 and uh we just ran out of gas um but yeah and then uh of course I teamed up with Eric again with the the Las Vegas Lights in the USL which was a ton of fun um working on peak performance and mindset of players it's very interesting to see how professionals embrace mindset. Some of them think that it's all just a bunch of hooey and they don't need anything. While others, I think, uh, have more of an open mind and realize that if you can work on your technical and tactical and physical abilities, why can't you do the same with your mental ability? And if you can improve yourself by as little as 1%, well, that's a 1% improvement. So I'd, I'd say that the team was pretty split down the middle about the, the benefits of mindset. Um, but, you know, this was well four, four years ago now. And I think that soccer players as a whole are beginning to figure out that mindset is a vital component when it comes to your soccer career and how you can get better. So that's where I am with coaching, and that's where I was with broadcasting, and and now we've got the admin side of things. And you know, as as I spoke about earlier, I was at the World Cup organizing committee from '90 90 to '94, and uh, scored myself some great tickets. Thank you very much 
for that. Did get to see USA versus Brazil. In fact, I saw the, all the US games except for the one in um, the one in Detroit. Um, yeah, there was the one in Stanford on July the fourth. That was great against Brazil. Not a great game, but um, just just to be there and be in that atmosphere was was tremendous. Uh, but yeah, so Cal South, so um, joined the board in 2019, August 2019. Obviously, my timing wasn't great because in 2020, um, the pandemic happened. And then uh, we had a president who, um, uh, let's see, he came onto the scene, Bob Turner. I think the less said about that, the better. But let's just throw out the word integrity. And we'll leave it at that. And now we have young Mr. Terry Fisher, our brand new, well, not brand new anymore, six-month-in CEO from Washington, the state of Washington. And I believe that we are making some wonderful progress in rebuilding Cal South, rebuilding youth soccer, rebuilding adult soccer. And we have some fabulous events coming up, um, one that I'm particularly proud of and really excited to talk about is Soccer de Mayo. Yes! The weekend after the 5th, well, the, the, the Saturday and Sunday after the 5th of May, which would be Cinco de Mayo, we have Soccer de Mayo in Kern County. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We've got music, we got food, we got a we got an awesome beer garden. Um, already 70 teams have signed up. It's 7v7. It's co-ed. So definitely visit the Cal South website to get some more details on that. Um, we've got League Americas as well, which is absolutely fantastic. That's going to be April 30th at the Long Beach Convention Center, where we, the Cal South crew, will be there. And I want you to be there. Come visit us. Come talk. And let's figure out how we can make this game better, because that's... That's what it's all about, really, right? How can we make soccer better? Not only from uh, a youth standpoint, but from the adult standpoint as well. I think we can all see that there are many different problems within the youth game. Expense, travel, competition. But these are things that can be really worked out. And I think they're easy to work out. And all it takes is a little bit of imagination and some willpower and some and the ability to think outside of the box. You know, we and I say we we're, we're all very guilty of putting our head in the sand and not really thinking about how to improve the game. And I was at a convention just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a Dutch guy from the KNVB, the uh, Dutch Football Association. He had this. He, he said this thing, and it really struck a chord with me. Will the game of soccer look like it does now in fifty years' time? And he asked, you know, the audience, and there was probably three hundred, four hundred people in the audience, and typical soccer audience. No one put their hand up except for me. <laughs> and and he pointed at me and said, "You, my friend, you are a visionary. You are going to change the game." And when we when we look at the game, there are different platforms of the game. I think we get very obsessed with 11v11, but let's not forget, futsal is the game that develops the greatest players in the world. Street soccer is the game that develops the greatest players in the world. 
11v11 doesn't develop the greatest players in the world. True? Absolutely. You go to Brazil, you go to Argentina, you go to Africa, you go to these countries where the facilities and the resources aren't there, and yet they still produce the greatest players in the world. And the answer is how? It's because the kids just play. So I think 7v7 co-ed soccer is something that we should really be looking at because why not? I mean, I play in a, in a co-ed league myself and it's a ton of fun. And people say, well, it's not competitive. And, and I have an argument to that. I would say this. If you've got two goals, if you've got two teams wearing different colored shirts and you got a ball, you got a competitive game. Simple as that, right? Yes. So I think on the youth side, there's there's so much room for, for growth. And I've got a ton of ideas that I'm going to uh, present to the board of directors at Cal South and, and hopefully get some traction and, and really get some, some, some momentum going so that we can make this game the best it can possibly be and include as many people as many kids. I mean, just think how many kids cannot afford to play soccer. And that number is staggering. And they're playing. They're finding ways to play. And we need to bring everybody in under the Cal South family. Now, on the adult side, we're also trying for, for different platforms as well. There's a very interesting game called Omega Ball that's just come onto the scene. Uh, there's Beach Soccer. And like I said, there's the, there's the co-ed. So there's lots of different opportunities to play this great game. And also at CalSelf, we are introducing a new logo. I know it doesn't sound much, but as we all change, as the world changes, as CalSelf changes, as soccer changes, I think we need to be aware of our surroundings, our environments, and of, of how we, we present things. So... Uh, that's a little bit about me. I hope you've enjoyed my story. As always, you can find me at Nick Webster on Twitter. And you can find all the goodies that are going on at CalSouth at CalSouth.com. You can follow CalSouth on Instagram at CalSouthSoccer.com. On Twitter at CalSouthSoccer.com. And of course, on Facebook. The Bear and the Bull will be back next week. I can't wait to talk to you all. I'll have a special guest. And as always, we'll see you out on the pitch real soon.